Well, good morning. I'm Josh, one of the pastors here. Three of the five. There's two others. They are not getting on the stage today, so you'll see them at another point in time, all right? So, um, yeah. Hey, thank you for joining with us, being gathering with us on Sunday morning. We consider it a privilege that you really do gather with us here. So we pray that you are blessed by the service this morning. We are in a series on the parables of Jesus. So we've looked at the parables of money. We're currently looking at the parables of the kingdom. And this morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 13 looking at the parable of the sower. So if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, the passage should be in your bulletin and also on the screen. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. And while all the people stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came up and ate it up. Some on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Let's pray for Lyle and his family. Uh, Father, we, we come and we just ask for your mercy on the juries right now. Um, Lord, a sickness has hit their home with Kathy and Conlin. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would bring um, clarity as they go visit the doctor today um, just to what's going on, what are their symptoms, and what really is going on. And we pray that they would heal up quickly, God. We also pray for um, Lyle's situation with his mom, I pray, Lord, that he and his family would be a blessing uh, to Laquita. Lord, I pray that you would um, just give them wisdom in how to move forward in this next season of her life and how they can best care for her, God. I know that Lyle has a deep burden to do that well, and I pray that you would just give him wisdom, insight, the finances to do that, Lord. So, um, yeah, bless our pastor. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. I, th- I think at some form, shape, level, we've all experienced the power of words, whether it's positive or negative. I, the first time I can really remember this hitting home with me, I was in second grade. One of the kids in my classroom said something hurtful about the teacher's aide or the teacher's assistant that was in our classroom, and one of the really smart kind of wise kids yelled out that remark that this kid made. That was me being facetious. That wasn't really kind of that child by yelling it out. But the teacher's assistant replied um, with a phrase I think we've all heard, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But there was a contrast that was going on with the message she was spitting out and the tears that were flowing down her face. And I wasn't very smart at second grade, but I knew that the words that she heard were actually pretty hurtful with what was going on. Um, words can also have a really good effect on us. They can really powering and they can have a moving message for us. This last week, I, I went to see the movie The Greatest Showman with my wife. Took her out for Valentine's Day, so 
We did that, but um, it's a great movie. It was really good. It's really entertaining. If you haven't seen it, you should go do it. I'm not going to give any spoiler alerts real quick. So um, what happened after this movie came out is there was an interview that surfaced between the director of the movie and one of the main characters. Um, The director of the movie is a guy by the name of um, Michael Gracie, and then the woman that was a part of this interview was Kella Steele. And... um, Man, it was just a really powerful um, interview and also just a, a rehearsal of one of the main songs in the movie. And um, here, here's kind of the interview, and then I'll share some of the lyrics um, that really, uh, like, if you watch it, really move you. Um, so Gracie says this, we knew it, and this is a song, This Is Me, was going to be the anthem of the film. In the rehearsals, Keala didn't even want to come out from behind the music stand. The, the words of it were so gripping to her, it kind of produced fear in her. She didn't want to step out and declare. I kept saying to her, step out because this is your moment. You have to step out into the ring. He's speaking metaphorically here because it's a circus movie. So step out into the ring and just belt this song out. And Keala follows up, I didn't want to. I stood behind the stand until the day of the presentation, the video of this um, rehearsal. There was even a moment in the song that I, I had to actually hold Hugh Jackman's hands so that I had someone just to hold on to. And the lyrics that she's talking about in this instant where she holds Hugh Jackman's hands are, are this. And if you've heard the song, you can hear it along with me. I'm not going to sing. That's not why you showed up this morning, all right? But you can try to follow along with the song, and it is, it's just so moving. And here's, here's the lyrics. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, going to drown them out. This is brave. This is bruised. And as she's singing it, you can almost feel just her life experiences coming to the surface. This is who I'm meant to be. This is me. And as she says those last words, this is me, Hugh Jackman just loses it. He does. He throws his hands up. Tears start flowing down his face. Keala's crying. Hugh Jackman's crying. I may have been crying a little bit. It was really a moving, moving moment. And words have that effect on us, don't they? They're powerful. Whether positive or negative, words leave a lasting impression in our lives. This morning, as we consider the parable of the sower, Um, I I believe we feel this, we sense this, the power of words. And there's two pretty common uh, interpretations of the parable. The first one is some people think it's a parable about responsibility, the responsibility on us for faith. And I think there is responsibility that we'll see in this passage, but I I don't think that's the main interpretation that we should move forward with. The second one is that this is a parable of power. A parable of power. What I believe Jesus is trying to communicate through the parable of the sower is that Jesus and his message, the gospel message of the kingdom of God, are powerful. They may produce emotions in us, much like this interview and this experience and this video that I saw, but it's much more than that. Jesus and the power of his gospel bring the otherworldly power of the common kingdom of God into this present and broken and dark world. 
And I, I get this idea. I, I believe that's what this parable is really about because of the very last verse, all right? It says this. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is a man who hears the word and understands it. And then consider here what happens as a response of hearing and understanding. He produces a crop yielding 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. It's only the power of Jesus and the gospel message that can bring about fruit, transformation in people's lives. If it was a parable about responsibility, Jesus would have titled the parable as the parable of the soils and not the parable of the sower. So this morning, I want us to unpack that. I want us to tease that out a little bit. And as we're gonna do that, there's sort of three scenes to this parable. You have the, Jesus' teaching of the parable, and we're gonna work through that pretty quickly. Then you have Jesus has an aside with his disciples on the boat, and he basically gives them the purpose of why he speaks in parables. And then the third one is Jesus' interpretation of the parables. So for us to get a little caught up to base, we've read it already, but a refresher, let's read through Jesus' parable once again. It says this, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. So that same day, that means there's other things that are going on in Jesus' day already. So here's what has happened. He's already spent some time with the Pharisees, and they've tried to set traps for him to falter so that they can put him to death. He's preached to the masses, to great crowds. People, he's at Peter's house in Galilee. The house is crowded. People are there. He's been teaching and instructing all day long. He also has some family drama, all right? So his family shows up, his mom and his brother show up to the house and they ask Jesus to come out and Jesus looks around at the crowd and said, who's my mother and who's my brothers and who's my sisters? And he, he names the crowd as his actual family. There's family drama that's going on. So man, if I'm Jesus, I wanna get out of that house and I wanna go to the lake too, right? That, that's quite the day already. But Jesus, he gets out of the house, he goes to the lake and such large crowds gather around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. And while all the people stood on the shore, then he stood or, and he gave them many parables. And here's, here's like the lens that I want us to read this parable, all right? So the field, the, the farmer or the sower is Jesus. The seed is the gospel message of the kingdom. And the different soils are there different postures of our hearts in the way that we respond to the gospel message? So as we read this, consider those things, all right? A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, and notice just how Jesus scatters everywhere. There's really no uh, consideration about the different types of soils. He wants anybody and everybody to hear this news. He was scattering the seed and some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have any or much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times 
what was sown. And then Jesus ends the parable with this weird saying, he who has ears, let him hear. What's kind of missing in this translation is this emphatic listen. Listen. Look, at, look with your eyes at what I've done. Hear my gospel message. Understand it. Because this message, it's worth your life. So Jesus ends this parable, all right? And then we move to a scene with his disciples on the boat. And he gives the purpose of the parable. So we've worked through the parable. We're going to the purpose of the parables. Starts in verse 9. Says this, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Probably a question a lot of us have with the numerous parables that Jesus speaks in the New Testament, right? You can sense a hint of curiosity in the disciples, but I believe that you can also sense, uh, identify a little bit of frustration in the disciples as well. You could rephrase their question like this. Jesus, why don't you just speak plainly? Why don't you just get to the point, Jesus? These are grown adults. Like, just speak plainly to us. Give us the message. Tell us exactly what you're trying to get across. We're adults. We can take it. And I love Jesus' response here because I believe it's so just Jesus' nature. He's so patient with his disciples, just like he's patient with you and me. He almost speaks to them as if he's speaking um, complimentary to them, all right? So here's Jesus' response. He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak in parables. So what's going on here? Like, why is Jesus almost speaking in a complimentary way to the disciples. He's, he's telling the disciples, you have this understanding that the crowds on the shore don't have yet. You, you've experienced me. I've called you out. You are my disciples. You've experienced me. You've heard my message. I've given you understanding. But the people on the shore, they don't have that yet. They lack understanding. And he He opens this up a little bit more for us through the book of Isaiah. He quotes Isaiah here. He says, Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They're hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus is almost speaking a form of judgment on the crowds at the shore. Their hearts are, are calloused to the extent that they cannot hear or understand. Their hearing is impaired by the hardness of their heart. 
And it's not because Jesus hasn't spoken plainly to them up to this point in his ministry. He has. Just before this, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus has issued the declare, the invitation that come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, soul rest. He's claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath, which only God can do. When the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, you cast out demons because you associate yourself with Satan. Jesus says, that would be a kingdom divided. Rather, if I cast out demons by God's spirit, then I've ushered in the kingdom of God into this very present world. He's declared his death, said that he was going to die. He was going to go to the heart of the earth for three days and three nights and like Jonah, then be brought up from the grave. He said all of this to the crowds, and they still don't understand. What Jesus is saying here is, you have me, disciples, the mystery of the kingdom. But they haven't made that decision yet. They don't have that understanding yet. And it takes time. And it takes stories. From Nearly the very beginning of time, public speakers have used stories in order to penetrate the hard, callous hearts of their audiences. I mean, think back to the Old Testament, our series through Samuel. David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. His hard heart keeps him from repenting. And what ultimately brings repentance in David's life? His friend Nathan. But Nathan doesn't come and he doesn't just speak plainly to David. No, he tells David a story. Tells David a story about someone that's been unjustly treated. And so David said, that person should be killed. And Nathan looks right back at him and says, you are that person. And David is struck to the heart and he repents. His hard heart is softened because of a story that is spoken into his life. President Abraham Lincoln was said to be a master storyteller. Anytime he was trying to get a policy moved across, he always began by telling a story. And every time he ended a story, it was said that he would have this huge smile on his face where he could see all of his teeth. And then he would end with a, a laugh that would just permeate the whole entire room. One author, Walt, Walter Whitman, um, he's an essayist, he's a... Um, one of America's greatest poets, um, he says this about Abraham Lincoln and his storytelling. He says, stories were a weapon which he employed with great skill. And if there was any president in the United States that needed to penetrate the dark, hardened, calloused hearts of a country, it was Abraham Lincoln, wasn't it? Public speakers have been using stories since the beginning of the time in order to penetrate, soften the hearts of their audiences. Jesus is basically saying this. In their present state, the, the crowds before me, they can stare till doomsday and still not see it. All the signs that I perform, I could perform as many signs as they want, they would still be blind. I could speak till I was blue in my face, speaking as plainly as possible, and they still wouldn't understand. No, I tell stories to create readiness to nudge the people towards receiving me as Lord. 
That's why Jesus speaks in parables. They're not just parables or stories for the people on the shore. These are stories for you and me. We too have this this hardened shell to our hearts that needs to be penetrated by a story. Stories are moving to us. They penetrate our hearts. And the reason Jesus speaks in parables and stories is because he wants our hearts to be ready to receive him as Lord for his kingdom to enter into our lives. Which I think begs the question, okay, what's the pattern of faith then? What's the pattern of belief? What, what does it look like for that to take place in someone's life? I, I think we are given a pattern of belief here through this passage in Isaiah. He gives us four or five different movements, all right? That they would see with their eyes, that they would hear with their ears, that they would understand with their hearts, that they would turn, and then I would heal them. So seeing with their eyes, I think this is a general way that God saves most of us. I'm not saying that he can't work in extraordinary ways through dreams and stuff like that. He has done that in the past. He probably is doing that in the present somewhere. But I believe this is the general way in which he brings us to faith. So we see with our eyes. We encounter Christianity. We encounter the life of a Christian. We see a life that has been changed. And as we develop a relationship We hear the gospel from this person. We hear the good news that salvation can be had for anybody and everybody. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserved it, but it has been given to us freely at Christ's expense. And as as it's received, as it's understood, understanding is just another way for Matthew to say belief. As we believe in this gospel message and we turn, we repent from our life of sin, God heals us. This idea of repentance can be a little hard to understand. There's a Christian author that puts it like this. There's a condition that sometimes develops in our bodies called adhesions, where our organs internally attach to other parts of our body. And the condition can only be corrected by a surgical procedure. It's decisive intervention. It's saving the person's life. The procedure, it hurts. It hurts but the results are healthy. In much similar ways is our repentance. God decisively intervenes in our lives, whether it be through a Christian, whatever it means it may be. God divinely intervenes in our lives. And there's a surgery of our attachment to the world and the way that we used to live. You can't encounter this Christianity and not make a decision. It forces us to either turn or continue in our our same similar ways. But if we turn, it can ultimately lead to our healing and the better life that Jesus gives us. It's repentance. It can hurt, it can. You have to give up, you have to sacrifice things. But I promise you it's better. This last May, I went to a graduation party, and I got to meet um, the youth pastor that actually ended up taking Lyle's place at LaGrange Baptist Church. I don't remember his name, but he's a good dude. So um, we had the mutual connection with Lyle, so we started talking about the juries and just the effect, the impact that they've had on our own personal lives. And he started sharing his story with me a little bit. He first, he was in Lyle's student ministry, 
okay? He went to high school and was in Lyle's student ministry. He um, first initially started coming because he wanted to be around the girls and all of his friends. Pretty typical youth story, right? So, um, but during the time that he was attending that youth ministry, it was the same season that the Drury's lost their daughter, Kay. And he said that a couple of months after they lost their daughter, Kay, that Lyle got up and he still preached with the same vigor and the same passion that he did before. That Kathy continued to step into the lives of the girls in their youth ministry and in their church and continued to pour herself out, just love and affection for the church. And he said, it ruined me. It wasn't just a means of Lyle providing for his family serving in the church. He convictionally believed that he needed Jesus. And it ruined him. There are other things that he said had impacts in his life, but ultimately he ended up giving his life to Jesus that summer. Jesus has been putting his life back together again. But you see the pattern of belief in the story that he shared. He encountered Christianity through the life of the juries. He heard the gospel message that Jesus loves him and will save him from his sins. He believed it. He understood it. He received it into his life. And he he turned. He repented. And God healed him from his sin. It's the pattern of belief. It's the way that God's kingdom enters into this world. We see with our eyes. We hear with our ears. Understand with our hearts. We turn. We live a different life. Jesus heals us. Which moves us to the final scene here. So we've looked at the parable. We've looked at the purpose of why Jesus speaks in parables. And then Jesus gives an interpretation. He does it without even the disciples asking for it. Again, just showing the generosity of our God. Here's what he has to say. Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Second, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of, the li- of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth they choke it out, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. As Jesus works through these different types of soil, the different postures of our heart, I believe he's ushering us four warnings. Four warnings about the way that we receive this powerful gospel message, the kingdom message of Jesus Christ. The first one is this. Beware of listening to God with a hard heart. 
The first soil is the footpath. And I have a picture here. Is that Cherokee Park? Everybody know Cherokee Park? Yeah? It's all beloved in our hearts, right? So this is at that huge hill where you all go slow, snow sledding or whatever, um, whenever it snows, right? So there's that big trail whenever it's sunny outside and there's no snow on the ground that you can see. And what, what's happened, I, we all know this, there's been numerous people that have run up and down that path to where it no longer produces life. The soil has become hard and compacted and no longer will grass or plant or any, anything else grow there. And this is the hardness of our heart. This is the person that whenever they hear the gospel message, they only see a theory that needs to be nitpicked. Rather than the way that you see later in the parables, where the gospel is more like a story, a personal discovery where you're working through the weeds and you find this hidden treasure in the field and you go and sell everything that you have in order that you may attain it. Or the pearl in the marketplace that you discover and you realize this is worth all of my possessions. And you go and sell everything that you have in order that you obtain it. That's more what the gospel is like. It's this personal discovery where you realize a message that's too good not to give up everything in order that you may obtain it. But the person of the path has a hard, calloused heart that whenever they hear the gospel message, it's like water hitting the duck of a back. It just rolls right off. In one ear and out the other. We, we get a sense also from Jesus here that there's more going on behind the scenes than what meets the eye as well. There is spiritual warfare that is taking place in ways that we cannot see. Satan is working, he's collaborating, he is scheming in any possible way to keep the kingdom of God advancing in this world. So whenever the path receives the seed, the bird flies down and eats the seed off of the path before there's any hope that the, the posture of this person's heart could change nitpicks it, doesn't want to respond to it, doesn't see it as a possible personal discovery. And Satan swoops in, steals the message from the person's heart. What we have to realize as we share the gospel message is that there is more that is going, behind the, going on behind the scenes than what meets our eye. As we share the gospel message, yes, let's be generous Scattering across all seeds, just as Jesus did as the farmer or the sower. But it has to be associated with prayer. That's the only means by which we have fighting against this spiritual warfare. And it's powerful. It is. You have complete access to your Father who is in heaven through Jesus Christ. So as you share, pray. Pray that the postures of people's hearts through God's stories and through his scriptures and through the good message, may be softened that they may receive the good news. The second warning is this. Beware of listening to God with a shallow heart. This is the rocky soil. So the rocky soil is shallow. There's no root system. So as you come into our church building, that's, our, that's before all the work that was done outside. Isn't that nasty? So gross. I hate that look. Um, but as you see at the bottom, there's two trees, right? 
See in the little circles right there, there's two little trees. Those have been there for years, okay? Years. And they, have, they haven't grown. They haven't gotten bigger. They haven't looked more pretty. And the reason that we've been told is because the soil is like clay. It's, it's hard. You can't really soften it. You can't really do anything about it to make it better, which means that the soil is really shallow for the root system to take place. Now, this soil, what we see from Jesus is that it, it has a good emotional response initially. It receives it with joy. You look at it, so every time we come in in the spring, we see that there seems to be new life on the branches of these trees, right? Seems like, okay, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year that the trees are actually going to grow and look beautiful. But every year we're just disappointed because it has little to no root system. Eventually, these trees are going to die. They're going to pass away. We're going to have to remove them. We're going to have to figure something else out just to make up that space in our front entryway. This is a person with a shallow heart, a shallow belief. And what Jesus says is that when persecution or suffering set in, they're quick to bail. And listen, Jesus does not hide the fact that if you follow him, there's going to be persecution and there's going to be suffering. He does not deny that. He makes it very clear. These people are swept away by the emotion of it. But whenever push comes to shove, they're ready to bail as soon as times get hard. When the heat rises, they're out. Listen, when suffering comes about in our life, I think our question is often, why would God let something like this happen to me? Why, why would God let these hard, difficult circumstances come about in my life? We shouldn't be so surprised. Listen, you may have persecution, you may have suffering if you believe and trust in Jesus, but like, listen guys, this world is broken and there's gonna be hardship and there's gonna be suffering that comes about whether you're with Jesus or without Jesus. And if you have Jesus, I believe the question should be more like this. How in the world would I get by if I didn't have Jesus? through this suffering and this hardship. Can you imagine what it would be like to have hardship, suffering, disease, death take place without the hope of Jesus? It would be absolute despair. Don't be the third soil or the second soil. When hardship sets in, don't bail. You have no other hope. Your only hope is in Jesus. Push through. The third warning is the third soil, the thorny soil. And it, it gives us this warning. Beware of listening to God with a divided heart. So the thorny soil seems receptive because other things are growing in it, right? But ultimately it gets choked out. So I, I grew up in Oklahoma and we have these things called stickers, all right? Anybody know what stickers are? So this is a sticker burr. They hurt like the dickens when you step on those things. They're awful. And if you leave a field or your yard or even like a, a 
garden or whatever it might be, if you leave it unattended, you don't do any work, these things will take over and destroy your yard or your field or your flower garden. They choke it out. What once was alive, ultimately these will overpower and choke it out. And Jesus gives us two things in this thorny soil, the things that choke out the belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the first one is the worries of this life. And the second one is the deceitfulness of wealth. The worries of this life are the world's fears. You don't have to turn on the news before fear sets in. Yeah, it's just moments, isn't it? You, you hear stories about the shootings in Florida. You hear about the tensions between America and North Korea. You hear about the status of our country's financial state. You, you hear about the social dis-ease that's going on across our country. You may even hear things if you follow different news streams within the church that the church's numbers are declining and just seems like absolute despair. These things can choke out the faith or the belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But so can the deception of wealth. And that's the world's promises. The world promises salvation through success and security through wealth and happiness through beautiful things. We envy other people's vacations. We envy their home, their cars, their clothes. We may envy the schools that their kids go to. But here's the lie that sets in whenever we begin to believe these things. That we, too many good things are being sacrificed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is an absolute lie. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that gives you hope. The only thing that gives you real, lasting life. It's a lie that you can sacrifice in giving up too many things for the sake of the gospel. It's the best news that's ever come into this world. So this third soil is like a person that has the gospel in one hand and the world's fears or the world's promises in the other it's like you're being stretched apart. And eventually one is going to have to give. For those that choose the fears of this world, the promises of this world, the gospel goes by the wayside. The last soil is the good soil. This maybe is less of a warning more than it is like a plea. Be like the good soil. Be like the good soil. There's an eloquence in the simplicity in the way that Jesus spends time with this last and final soil. It's like a tree that's planted by the stream. It's a picture of Psalm 1. And it's this, the eloquence. It's, it's, just, it's a simplistic or simplifying pattern of belief that we just looked at from Isaiah 6. He hears with their ears, understands with their heart, and then produces, bears much fruit. All right, so a couple of things about this soil, all right? It grips the gospel with both hands. 
firm belief. Let's other things go by the wayside. It views the gospel as this personal discovery of this great treasure. It gives up everything for it. But listen to this. Even in the midst of this, it doesn't mean that there's not suffering. It doesn't mean that there's not hardships. It doesn't mean that there's not struggles. One author puts it like this. Jesus does not say that this good ground has no stones in it or no thorns, but there were none that prevailed to hinder its fruitfulness. Saints in this world are not perfectly free from the remains of sin, but happily freed from the reign of it. That's the life of the good soil. It's not that there's no more sin. It's not that there's no more struggle. It's not that there's things that need to be removed from the soil. No, they're just removed from the reign of sin in their life. That's the promise of the good soil, that you get to experience a freedom from the sin that reigns over your life. That's what the good soil is. It's not perfection. It's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It gives you liberty. It gives you freedom. The second thing that we need to notice about this soil is the verb order here, all right? So you hear, you understand, which is the process of belief that we've looked at. But the final two verbs are really important. It bears fruit and it yields. What that means basically in the the original Greek is you do things. If you're the good soil, there's going to be action that takes place in your life. There's going to be action and here's, here's the two things. Here's, here's the fruit. The first is obedience. And the second is multiplication. All right? So go back to that tree um, image. And just listen. Look at that image and then listen to Psalm 1. It's the, the picture. All the commentators agree that Jesus is trying to get this picture of the tree by the waters from Psalm 1. And here's what Psalm 1 verse 3 says. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So the good soil receives the seed. And as it receives the seed, there's this process that happens, an inward, gradual process where transformation begins to take place. The seed is received by the soil. It starts to take root, and then you see shoots come out of the ground. And gradually over time, that shoot turns into a small tree. And that small tree turns into this huge tree that's firmly planted by water. It has its life source, and it bears much fruit. And even whenever dry seasons come around, it doesn't wither and it doesn't fall away. That's the good soil. That's the good soil. Just before Psalm 1-3, Psalm 1 says this, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. There's obedience in this person's life. Obedience. And what we have to get with this verb order is this, that you hear with your ears, you understand with your hearts, And doing flows from faith and belief. 
It's not doing in order to get faith and belief. It's faith that is given. And what naturally flows is doing things, action. You're given the power of the kingdom of God to follow through with the commands that Jesus has given you if you're the good soil. You have a root system that can sustain all the suffering and darkness of this world. The thorns won't squelch out the good news of Jesus if you're the good soil. You have a solid root system. But what, what else does a good, healthy tree do? It pollinates, right? We're all in Louisville. We know when spring comes around that our sinuses go crazy. Pollen spreads out everywhere, doesn't it? It's like our noses are faucets. It's just gross. Especially if you have kids. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's gross. There's no discretion in a way that a tree pollinates, does it? It doesn't look at different types of ground and say, that one's too thorny. I don't, I'm not going to waste my pollen on that one. That, that one looks a little too rocky. There, there's not going to be a good enough produce from that one. I'm not going to pollinate there. That's the path. I'm not going to pollinate there. No, there's no discretion. Just like the farmer or the sower in the parable, Jesus is generous in how he scatters the seed. And the good soil, the tree that grows, it's generous in the way that it scatters the seed as well. It shares with anybody and everybody because we want all to know how good Jesus is and to come to faith in him. And this tree isn't just planted by happenstance, is it? No, God gives distinct placement for it right by the stream. It's the same way with your life. If you're the good soil, God didn't plant you just by happenstance where you're at. No, you're in your job, you're in your neighborhood, you're in the family that you've been given for a particular reason. Let your life be the encounter of Christianity that the world needs. And share it with anybody and everybody. And the promise that we see at the very last verse of the good soil is there will be a great yielding of fruit. We pray as we share the seed, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we know that God will save some. There's great hope in it. We can trust God's word, this will come true. And Jesus ends this whole scene just very abruptly. There's no bow that he puts on top of this. And I think he does this for a reason. I think he's wanting us to ask the question, what soil am I? Which soil am I? Am I the hardened footpath? Am I the shallow, rocky soil? Am I the thorny soil that squelches out any hint of fruit? Or am I the good soil that grasps the gospel with both hands and never lets go? Which soil are you? At the end of the interview that we talked about at the very beginning, Michael Gracie and Kiala are, are concluding just this scene, this moving scene during this rehearsal of this is me. And Kiala says this, 
We got to the end of the number, and all I remember was deafening, deafening applause. She came out of her shell. She got out from behind the music stand. She belted out. And the whole room was moved. She said it was a sort of an otherworldly experience. And Gracie followed up and said, it was one of those moments that will stay with me the rest of my life. Words have a powerful, lasting impact on our life. But listen, moments like this pale in comparison to the power of our Jesus and his gospel message because it brings life from death in a dark and broken, mysterious world. Be like the good soil. Receive the good news. Follow the pattern of belief. Let's pray.